Hi everyone, I'm Madden. And I'm Zoe. And this is the Unnamed O Podcast. On today's episode, I'm going to tell you the story of four women. Two who have been identified, but two that remain unknown. These are the stories of the I-45-4. Alright, before we jump in, Zoe and I wanted to let you all know that we won't be releasing an episode next week because it will be our Thanksgiving break. So on November 28th, you won't have your Tuesday episode, but we'll be back in your feed the next week on December 5th. If you don't want to take a week off from listening, we have a bunch of episodes already posted on our Patreon, so you can subscribe and get your fix there. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. On October 15th or 16th, 1980, the body of a woman was found alongside an unpaved road in Houston, Texas. I say the 15th or the 16th because the Doe Network has both dates listed in different places. What? Yeah, to add to this little mystery, NamUs says October 16th, but the Texas Department of Public Safety says October 15th. Was she found really late at night or something, and maybe that's why? I don't know, there's really not a lot of information out there about this case. Okay, weird. The body was found at... 15100 I-45 on the northbound side beneath barbed wire fencing. Unfortunately, that's all we know about her discovery, but we have a lot of other information. The woman was 20 to 30 years old, black, although she may have been a mix of black and Native American or Asian ancestry, 4'8 to 4'10, 90 to 110 pounds, with black hair that was styled in lots of small braids all over her head. When she was found, she was wearing a white headscarf with a red, black, and blue leaf design a long sleeve blue and white madra print shirt, size medium, fad blue jeans, size five to six with large orange flowers embroidered on the back pockets, a white bra and red bikini style underwear. She was also found with a large handbag that the Doe Network calls quote, woven rope style, end quote. I gave you a picture of a madra print shirt because I didn't know what it was and I figured you would have questions. I mean, it just looks like a kind of plaid women's button down, right? Yeah, it's not a flannel. It's just the other type of plaid shirt that you see. Yeah. Investigators estimated that Jane Doe had likely died around three months prior to her discovery and her manner of death was homicide. She had been strangled to death. Jane Doe has dentals available, but the Doe Network notes that she has areas of bone loss that are associated with periodontal problems, otherwise known as gum or teeth disease or issues. Her DNA sample is in CODIS, but it hasn't received any matches as of yet. She also does not have any exclusions on NamUs. Here is a forensic reconstruction of this Jane Doe. So tell us what you see, because it's an interesting drawing. I've never seen a forensic reconstruction like this ever. You can't see her face. It is literally like a picture of her walking away or just standing looking at a wall. So on the back of her jeans, like on the pockets, you can see that flower design. Kind of looks like a starfish to me without like the fifth arm. So I guess not a starfish. You can see that shirt. It looks more like a flannel in here, especially with the rolled up sleeves, but Mm -hmm. we already established that it's not the flannel material. She's barefoot. Was she barefoot? I didn't see anything about shoes. Okay. And I can see the little braids that you were talking about. But yeah, that's about all I can say. Unfortunately, that's everything we know about this victim. Luckily, we know a lot more about the next victim who is still unidentified. 
On December 10, 1980, less than two months after the first Jane Doe was found, our second Jane Doe was discovered. Employees working on a billboard noticed a foot sticking out from beneath a mattress under I-45. This was where they discovered Jane Doe. She was in the 3600 block of Stokes, about six miles away from downtown Houston alongside a railroad track. Okay, so the second Doe, how far away was she found from where the first Doe was found? When I looked at a map, it said they were about five miles away or like a 12 to 15 minute drive. So they were pretty dang close together. Yes, they were. And they were both along I-45. Okay, they're really close together. That's crazy. This Jane Doe's cause of death was also strangulation, and she had likely died only hours prior to being discovered. The investigation revealed that Jane Doe had been sexually assaulted, but not raped. Because the Doe Network specifies a difference between these two things in relation to Jane Doe, I did some research into what exactly the difference is between these two things. From what I can find, it seems like the difference is that rape is generally defined as non-consensual sexual intercourse, whereas sexual assault is generally defined as non-consensual sexual contact, but not intercourse. Now that we've covered that, let's get into what else we know about this Jane Doe. According to NamUs, she is estimated to be between 16 to 26 years old, although the Doe Network says 16 to 40. What? I am much more prone to trust NamUs on this one because 16 to 26 is a much more appropriate age range than 16 to 40 based on biological markers. Yeah, but also teeth development. Yeah. Like that 16 to 26, I feel like is pretty broad. But that 16 to 40, I'm not even paying attention to because yeah. what? 16 to 26, you do see development happen between those. So yeah, you would think it would be narrower, but it's better than 16 to 40. Yeah. She was a black woman who was 5'2", 135 pounds, with brown eyes and black hair that she wore styled in cornrows and pigtails. Jane Doe had scars on her left wrist, and her upper left incisor tooth was chipped. The Doe Network also lists another interesting feature about Jane Doe. She had old red or pink nail polish on her fingernails, and she was likely a chronic nail biter. Interesting that they could tell that. I mean, I guess that makes sense, because you can tell when somebody bites their nails, but I've never seen that listed anywhere. Yeah. When she was found, Jane Doe was wearing a pink pantsuit with a vest and some jewelry. She had on two necklaces, one was made of light blue beads, and one was a chain with a pendant on it that was kind of shaped like a dog tag. She was also wearing four bracelets on her left wrist. Three were thin and gold, and one was orange. Zoe, here's a reconstruction of this Jane Doe and a picture of the jewelry she was wearing. The reconstruction was done in 2016 by an artist named Lois Gibson, and before you look at it, I just want to say that there is a post-mortem photo of Jane Doe out there, which I looked at, and I think that this reconstruction is actually really accurate. Okay, the first thing that is really sticking out to me is you said that her hair was in pigtails and cornrows, right? According to the Doe Network, yes. Okay, well that's not what's going on here. She's no. got very short, kind of... Unstyled Yeah, hair. yeah. It's like that natural style. Mm -hmm. Her eyes are really big. Yeah. They're really distinctive just because they're so big. If I saw somebody with eyes like this, I'd be like, whoa, that is like your distinguishing feature. Her face just also seems very symmetrical, kind of. Other than like one eye is like bigger than the other, but it's like everything is just kind of like a mirror image. I have a question for you. Okay. Do you think that this looks like a 16 to 26 year old? Because I personally think this drawing looks a little bit older, but then if I stop to think about it, I can kind of see it being younger. Oh gosh. I don't think this looks like a 16 year old. 
I think this could definitely be somebody in their 20s, but I don't think somebody could be 16 and look like this. I don't know. Maybe, though. Maybe, maybe, maybe. (laughs) She has very full cheeks. She's got thick laugh lines. The bridge of her nose seems large to me, and it's very round, like around the tip of her nose. So now I'm looking at the jewelry, and I see like the three gold little bangles. I feel like those are really common. I don't feel like a lot of people wear them. But like that loose bangle that's just kind of like is around your wrist, you know? Yeah, it's the kind you wear a lot of. Yeah, yeah. You stack them. And then there's one that's orange. That's the same. And I see what you were saying about that dog tag necklace because I was really confused. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. What is on that? I can't tell what's on it. But if you were also confused, it's just a rectangle-shaped pendant with curved corners i have no idea i just zoomed in on this and i have no idea what is on that it kind of looks like a spaceship but i don't think that's what it is i have no idea what's engraved on it it's weird i want to know what's engraved and then that other necklace is blue and it's just got beads the beads don't look like they match like it's pale blue beads on the sides of the necklace and then the middle part of the necklace that would hang like between your collarbones those are big shiny almost different color blue beads unfortunately we don't know if this jane doe had dna fingerprints or dentals available it's possible she does but it hasn't been confirmed so unknown doesn't mean they're not there it just means no one said that they are it's just not public information right but she must have something available or at least i assume because she actually does have one exclusion it is possible that they just excluded this person based on circumstance but either way we know that jane doe is not janice hughes from georgia I'm not entirely sure why Janice was tested as an exclusion because her date of last contact was in 1991 and this Jane Doe was discovered in 1980. Weird, but okay. That seems unproductive. Right, because yes, obviously you can exclude her just based on that. NamUs does not go through and exclude everyone who's after that date. Right. That's not something it does. Right. Weird. So it's super weird. Like you have to test and put in for an exclusion to be approved. Did she go missing prior to 1991? Because I know I've seen in missing persons cases, they'll have the date that the report was filed, but they'll say the person likely went missing 10 years prior, or it's unknown when the person disappeared. I'm not sure. I didn't look into Janice's case much because we know it's not her. The only thing I can kind of think of why they tested her is because I think her picture looks pretty similar to Jane Doe's reconstruction, but still, it's not her. I don't know how they got to that point, but they didn't. So is this all the information we have about this Jane Doe? That is it. That's all we know about this second Jane Doe. All right, so far we have an unidentified victim who was found on October 15th or 16th, 1980, and another unidentified victim found on December 10th, 1980. We're going to jump back in time just a little bit to November 1st, 1980. This was when another victim was found, but there's something different about this victim. She as of November 2021, has actually been identified. So let's get into her case. On November 1st, 1980, a truck driver was driving by the Sam Houston National Forest on I-45. As he was driving, he noticed the body of a woman lying face down about 20 feet from the shoulder of the road. And this was about half a mile south of the FM 1696 exit, which was two miles north of Huntsville, Texas. The motorist called the police around 9.20 a.m. How close is this doe compared to the other does? 
A little bit over an hour away, but still on I-45. Okay. The woman was nude except for a chain necklace with a rectangular shaped stone pendant with a hazy blue glass stone on a delicate gold chain. A pair of red leather, three to four inch platform high-heeled sandals with light brown straps had been thrown somewhere in the general vicinity of her body. There were also pantyhose and a pair of underwear found at the scene as well. I'm not sure why this is, but the necklace Jane Doe was wearing was never actually photographed by investigators and the location of it is unknown. Great. However, we do have a reconstruction of the necklace if you wanna take a look. And we have a front and a back. Okay, so the front side has like a jewel or a gem or something, and it's bordered in like a rectangle of, it looks like gold. And then the back is just a gold backing. This Jane Doe was a young white woman, likely between 14 and a half to 16 and a half years old. Although the age range was expanded to include people 14 to 18. She was 5'6", 100 to 110 pounds, with hazel eyes and light brown hair that was about 10 inches long and cut in wing fashion. Which, by the way, is just when your hair flips out at the end. It, like, flips. We both did, like, a flip hand motion at the same time. Yeah. Her hair appeared to be naturally brown and didn't show any evidence of being dyed at any point. Jane Doe had a one and a half inch scar at the end of her right eyebrow. The Doe Network notes that on some sources, this scar is misreported as being near her right elbow, but law enforcement did confirm that the scar was near her eyebrow. I see how it was mistaken. Jane Doe had pierced ears, but law enforcement didn't recover any earrings from her body or from the scene. Her toenails were painted a quote unquote delicate shade of pink as well. Her teeth were well cared for and she had some fillings that were noted. Her teeth were straight, but investigators weren't able to determine if orthodontic work had been done to correct the alignment or if they were naturally straight. The Harris County Medical Examiner noted that she was quote-unquote well-nourished. Overall, the evidence indicated that this Jane Doe had likely been raised in a middle-class household. Zoe, here are reconstructions of Jane Doe done by the Walker County Sheriff's Office, which is the county where she was found. I have never seen a reconstruction like this. And they look pretty identical, except for the bangs. One, you can see more of her forehead, and the there's not really bangs, like, at all. And then the second one, she has kind of that curtain bang look, kind of, I think. Mm-hmm. And her eyes are small, her nose is long, and narrow, kind of. Like, it's round at the tip, but it's still pretty narrow. And her lips are really downturned. She looks very sad. Her eyebrows are also super thin. I wouldn't look at this and be like, oh, this is so-and-so that I know from down the street. Like, I don't feel like I could look at this and just be like, you look like this person. It's kind of got an uncanny valley effect going on. It doesn't really look human. It looks almost human. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. It was estimated that this victim had died about six hours prior to being found, likely in the early morning hours. This put her time of death right around 3.20 in the morning. According to the Doe Network, she had been sexually assaulted with a blunt object, beaten, and strangled to death, likely with the pair of pantyhose found at the scene, although the Doe Network notes that they may or may not have actually belonged to the victim. Weird. Her official cause of death was asphyxia due to ligature strangulation. On the victim's right shoulder was also a deep bite wound. Did they take an impression of the bite mark or anything like that? I assume they have pictures of it because I know that they've compared it to at least one person that they had as kind of a person of interest, but... Which I think that can be kind of shady. 
Dental impressions can be really shady. I know of a case where a man was convicted based on a dental impression, and then later he was exonerated because it turns out that wasn't even a bite mark. Forensic odontology can be great, but looking at bite marks and bite evidence can be kind of sketchy sometimes. Yeah. Interestingly, no semen was found on, around, or in the victim's body. That is weird because they seem like very sexually motivated crimes. And she was pretty violently sexually assaulted. Yeah, weird. After Jane Doe was found, her case blew up in the media. Through the media attention the case received, several witnesses actually came forward and told law enforcement that they had seen the victim the day before she was killed. As a note here, it has never been 100% confirmed that the girl the witnesses saw was the Jane Doe, but it's very likely. However, all of these witnesses who came forward have unfortunately passed away, so they can't be talked to again. One witness said that he had seen the victim around 6.30 p.m. on Halloween night, which, remember, was the night before. The witness was a manager at a South End Gulf gas station, and he had seen the girl at the station asking for directions to the Ellis Prison Farm, which is a state penitentiary. Did this witness say why she was going there? Did the Jane Doe say anything about why she was trying to go to this penitentiary? Yes, but not yet. According to this witness, the girl was wearing a yellow pullover and a white sweater with large pockets that hung below her waist, a pair of jeans, and she was actually carrying her shoes in her hand, a pair of high-heeled sandals. Which we know she was found with. Exactly. Depending on the source you read, the description of her shirt and sweater will change. Some say she was just wearing the yellow shirt, some say she was wearing the yellow shirt and the white sweater, but I went with the description about the white sweater because that's what she's depicted wearing in her forensic reconstructions. The same witness recalled that the victim had gotten out of a 1973 or 74 blue Chevy with a lighter colored top at the gas station before she asked for directions. The car may have been a Chevy Caprice and it was being driven by a white male. Zoe, here's a picture of a blue Chevy Caprice, just a random one, to give you an idea of what it might have looked like. Okay, this car looks like Tex Dynaco from Cars, the movie. Now, Tex Dynaco is not blue. This car also does not have a big pair of Texas Longhorn horns <laughs> on the front of his hood. I, it's the bumper. It is the bumper area that just makes me think of Tex Dynaco and like the build, but... You know what? I'll just describe the car anyways because I don't feel like this was a productive description. It has a white top. It's blue. It's very bulky. The front has a bunch of sharp angles. I don't know why Madden keeps giving me cars to describe because I'm really bad at it. And I'm so sorry that you guys have to listen to me do this. The witness went on to say that the girl he had seen had looked like she'd been traveling or maybe just sleeping in her clothes. Either way, she looked a little disheveled and like she hadn't had a change of clothes for quite a while. When the girl left the gas station though, she didn't get back into this car. She left the gas station on foot and she was last seen walking north on Sam Houston Avenue. I don't know where the car went. I assume it drove away. Now let's move on to what the next witness said. This next witness was a waitress who was working at the Hitchin Post truck stop along I-45. Apparently another employee at the truck stop also saw the girl and was able to provide a description but the waitress was the only one who really interacted with the girl. She said the girl came into the restaurant on October 31st, again, just the day before she was found murdered, and asked for directions to the Ellis Prison Unit, the same one she had asked for directions for at the gas station. This time, the girl elaborated a little more, saying that she had a quote-unquote friend there. Okay. 
When the waitress asked how old the girl was, she said that she was 19, but the waitress kind of thought this was a pretty obvious lie because the girl looked much younger than 19. So then the waitress asked the girl if her parents knew where she was, but the young girl just replied, quote, who cares, end quote. Then the waitress asked the girl where she was from, and she mentioned something about being from the Aransas Pass or Rockport area. The waitress drew a map for the girl and handed it to her, and the girl left. Do investigators think that the girl was at the restaurant before she went to the gas station? No, I think she was at the gas station, and then she went to the restaurant. Okay. Because I don't think she got great directions at the gas station, so that's why she went to the restaurant, and that's where she got the map. Okay, gotcha. Now that investigators had this lead about the Ellis Prison, which was about 14 miles or 23 kilometers away from where Jane Doe was discovered, they showed a post-mortem photograph of the victim to every single inmate. Wow. But every single one of them said that they had never seen her before and did not recognize her. Unfortunately, we still don't know who she was trying to visit that night, if she was trying to visit an inmate or maybe even an employee at the prison. I didn't even think about trying to visit an employee. Do you know how close together Rockport and Aransas Pass are to where she's at right now in the timeline? So where she's at right now, which is somewhere in maybe like the Huntsville slash near the Ellis Prison Unit area, it's about four hours away from the area she said she was from. Rockport and Aransas Pass are in the Corpus Christi area, and that's pretty far from where she was found. That's crazy. That's a really far way away. Mm -hmm. And especially to come visit somebody that far away and nobody say they knew her. Wow. Investigators actually followed up on the lead that she may have been from Rockport or Aransas Pass. They worked with law enforcement in those towns to see if any missing persons matched Jane Doe's description, but none did. Law enforcement also worked with the school districts in the area to search through yearbooks to see if anyone had gone missing from their schools who matched the description of Jane Doe. Again, investigators came up empty-handed, but they still believe that Jane Doe was probably from the general area near the truck stop, even though the area they think she could have been from was like four hours away. But I think they're thinking she was in the general Texas area. Okay. I got what you're saying. Like I said earlier, it's never been confirmed 100% that the girl the witnesses saw was the same one who was found on the side of I-45 the next morning, but it's really, really likely. If the victim was the same girl seen by the waitress and the man at the gas station, here is what likely happened that night. By the time she left the truck stop, the prison was closed to visitors and she had nowhere to go for the night. After leaving the truck stop with her map in hand and nowhere to go, she might have asked a trucker if she could sleep in the sleeper cab of his truck. It was likely there in a secluded area of the truck stop that the girl was killed, then her body was dumped along I-45 and her sandals were thrown out next to her. That is so horrible. Yeah, it really is. And even more horrible is that even with the witnesses and the tentative timeline of the night's events, the Jane Doe remained unidentified. She became known as the Walker County Jane Doe. On January 16th, 1981, a few months after she was found, Jane Doe was buried in the attic's addition at the Oakwood Cemetery after an open casket funeral service was held in her honor. Her burial was actually the result of the generosity of local companies. The Huntsville Funeral Home buried her and Morris Memorial provided a tombstone so that her grave would not be unmarked. 
I wish there were more people like this memorial place. The tombstone originally read, quote, unknown white female, died November 1st, 1980, end quote. In 1990, a forensic artist named Karen Taylor created a forensic sketch of what Jane Doe may have looked like. But as she wrote in her book, Forensic Art and Illustration, this reconstruction was difficult. You might remember that I said Jane Doe was pretty horribly beaten before her death. Her face and head took a lot of damage. But like I said, Jane Doe also had an open casket funeral, which meant that the Huntsville Funeral Home had to take extensive actions to make Jane Doe's face viewable for that open casket funeral. The only photograph given to Taylor to create the forensic reconstruction was a frontal picture that was taken after Jane Doe's face had been modified by the funeral home. Mm, okay, weird. Additionally, Taylor didn't receive a scaled photo of Jane Doe's necklace because again, no photo was taken. So she had to guess the size of the jewelry when she created the drawing. Considering everything the forensic artist had to work with in this case, I think the art turned out pretty decently. Zoe, here's that reconstruction. I have quite a few things to say. The first thing is this reconstruction looks like somebody who's at least in her 20s, not a teenager. And we've identified that it was estimated that this Jane Doe was 14 to 16. 14 to 18 on the larger range. Right. But investigators really thought she was maybe 14 and a half to 16 and a half. Right. This does not look like a 14 year old to me or a 16 year old, maybe an 18 year old, but eh, I don't know. She just looks very mature. Could be the artist interpretation. But considering that she didn't have a whole lot to go off of, this is a good reconstruction. She looks more human in this reconstruction than the one you showed me earlier. The side profile is a little weird. I don't know exactly what's going on there. That kind of doesn't look super realistic. Just look for yourself, listeners. It's weird. Her nose looks really little in that. Well, she wasn't even given a side profile photo. So this is completely, it would just have to be from her imagination. Oh, right. She was okay. only given a frontal facing photo. So any side profile is just what she could make out from the front, which would be very difficult. Yeah. Okay. That makes more sense. Like, I don't know if you've ever tried to draw a side profile with no reference image, but it is tough. I don't try to draw at all. Well, that too. <laughs> I do see some similar features from the original reconstruction you showed me. Like that really narrow nose. Her eyes are different. There's still that winged out hairstyle. In 1999, Jane Doe was exhumed for further testing. A forensic anthropologist re-examined the age and height estimation, and it was at this point that the age was narrowed to that 14 to 18 range. It was originally estimated that she was 15 to 22. Okay. So this is where we got to 14 to 18. Although this is also when investigators came forward and said that they really thought she was probably 14 and a half to 16 and a half. The height was also confirmed to be around 5'6". When Jane Doe was exhumed, a DNA sample was also extracted, but it was only suitable for CODIS entry at the time. In 2012, Nick Mick released a facial reconstruction of Jane Doe, but they were able to access the post-mortem photos, and this created what was hopefully a more accurate depiction. This reconstruction is very different from the other two. She looks a lot older, like at least in her 20s. This does not look like a 14 year old. It's at an awkward angle, so I can't tell if that nose is still really narrow. It kind of looks like it is, but I can't be 100% sure. Again, the eyes are different. The hair still has that winged effect. 
This is just an awkward angle for the forensic reconstruction, so it's hard to really compare it to the others. In 2015, Jane Doe's case was reopened by investigators. I assume 2015 was a big year for this case because it was the 35th anniversary of her discovery. Nickmick created a new facial rendering to replace their old one. Police thought that the newest Nickmick one was pretty accurate and portrayed Jane Doe's facial features and her hair color really well. Okay, this reconstruction is definitely somebody much younger. Her face is a lot smaller, I feel like. Like her head's a lot smaller. Her hair is a lot shorter too than the other ones. It's still winged and everything. She looks like a kid. She does. She does. Which is good because that's the age estimation. Right. She kind of has like a baby face. So I think her features are a little bit bigger than like she hasn't grown into them yet. Yes. It was at this point that the sandals found near Jane Doe were also supposedly sent to be tested for DNA. But the results of that testing were never made public. In 2018, Carl Kolpelman, who's a forensic artist, also did a reconstruction of Jane Doe, so here's that one. She looks so much younger in this. I would put her at like 11 or 12. That's what I was gonna say. She looks like a preteen, and her hair doesn't have that winged effect anymore, and the necklace is also the smallest I've seen it in any of the reconstructions, which it's been different in every single one, but this one is tiny. Also in 2018, Detective Thomas Bean of the Walker County Sheriff's Office said this, quote, that person made a statement when they did that. Honestly, no one should ever be treated like that. If we could positively identify the victim, there's a very good chance we could identify the suspect. At this point, I'm willing to look anywhere. If there's a missing person from New York that looks like her, I'm willing to consider it, end quote. He is desperate to figure out her identity. Yeah, and this is in 2018, and this sheriff is on it. He is following every lead. This sheriff's office, the Walker County Sheriff's Office, really never gave up on this case. I know I said they reopened it in 2015. I'm not sure why or when it was closed, but they really cared about this case. Yeah, that's awesome. In 2020, Carl Kolpelman, who I mentioned earlier, did another reconstruction. So take a look at this one. Okay, she looks somewhere between like a preteen and like a teenager. Like I can't quite place it. She doesn't look quite human either. Like it's very CGI-esque. This is the shortest we've seen her hair. It's not even touching her shoulders. Yeah, I don't know how we ended up here. Yeah, because we had the measurement on her hair. Also in 2020, the Walker County Sheriff's Office started working with Othram to identify Jane Doe. Othram! We love Othram. We do love Othram. Othram is a private company based in Texas that extracts DNA and performs genetic genealogy to identify John and Jane Doe's. Othram doesn't just work on unidentified remains cases, but we'll do a deep dive on them in a later episode. At first, Othram wasn't able to extract DNA from the femur and tooth that had been sent to their lab, but further testing on her tissue samples that had actually been preserved from the original autopsy back in 1980 was a success and Othram was able to get a usable DNA sample and create a genetic profile. From there, they constructed a family tree and located six living relatives of Jane Doe. DNA from the living relatives was collected and it confirmed Jane Doe's identity. On November 9th, 2021, after 41 years, Jane Doe was publicly identified as Sherry Ann Jarvis. 
Sherry was originally from Stillwater, Minnesota, and she was only 14 and a half years old. Walker County Sheriff Clint McRae was the one to announce Sherry's identity. The Sheriff's Department had never given up on Sherry's case, and McRae was quoted as saying, quote, I never like to refer to this case as being a cold case. It has always been a top priority of our department. We loved her as well, end quote. Sherry had run away from her home in Minnesota in 1980, the same year she was killed. Let's get into what we know about Sherry's life. Her friends called her Toddy. According to her family, Sherry had a love for children, animals, and riding horses. Sherry had been placed into state custody at age 13 due to truancy, and she ran away shortly after she turned 14. In August 1980, she sent a letter to her mother from Denver. In the letter, she wrote about her anger about being placed into state custody but she told her mom that she had every intention to return home eventually. She had planned to reach out to her family between her 18th and 21st birthday. This was the last contact she had with her family before her death. Her family hired private investigators to find Sherry, and they kept the same phone number for decades in case Sherry ever tried to call them, but she never did, and they never saw her again. The family gave a statement to the press after Sherry was identified. They thanked everyone who had worked to identify Sherry and all those who had visited her grave while her identity was unknown. They found comfort in the fact that Sherry had been found and identified, but they are still waiting for her murderer to be brought to justice. After she was identified, a new tombstone was erected over Sherry's grave. It displayed her name, her nickname, her photo, and also an inscription that read, quote, never alone and loved by many, end quote. Here are some pictures of Sherry for you to look at. She was so freaking young. It's honestly really hard to look at the pictures and how happy she looks and how carefree she looks knowing what happened to her. She just looks so happy and so carefree and so young and full of life. And this breaks my heart. There were speculations about Sherry's murderer possibly being a man named Henry Lee Lucas, who was apparently known for his fake confession sprees. Unfortunately, investigators couldn't match that deep bite mark on Jane Doe's shoulder to his dental records. A journalist named Michael Hargraves proposed the theory that perhaps Sherry's murderer may have been a female rather than a male, as no semen was found at the crime scene and blunt objects had been used for the sexual assault. Hargraves also said that the bite mark supported his theory because he didn't think men who committed sexual crimes typically bit the victim on the shoulder, he said that they are typically known to bite victims in other areas of the body. I had thought earlier that the killer could be a female, but I would not have used the bite mark as proof of that. Yeah, I could see the whole thing about the assault supporting his theory, but yeah. then when he started to talk about the bite mark, I kind of think he lost some credibility for me yeah. personally. He also thought that because male killers have been known to collect souvenirs but Sherry's necklace was left behind, meant that this may not have been a male killer. I don't think that makes any sense. Yeah, the problem with this is that none of Sherry's clothes were at the scene, and neither were her earrings if she had been wearing any. So there's a lot that the killer could have taken as a souvenir if they wanted to. But even if the killer didn't take anything, there are male killers that don't take souvenirs. Yeah... I don't think we should solely think that her killer is male because I think there's a possibility that her killer could be a female, but I don't think that the quote evidence that this guy is laying out makes sense. 
that's my thing. I'm not saying that the murderer couldn't have been a female, but I am saying that the reasoning behind this theory doesn't quite hold up for me. Yeah. Some suggest that perhaps Sherry could be linked to another former Jane Doe who used to be known as Orange Socks, but who has now been identified as Deborah Louise Jackson. Deborah was found in Georgetown, Texas, and she had been murdered close to exactly a year before Sherry was found. But this really hasn't gone anywhere, so who knows? It could be, it could not be. But by far, the most promising theory was proposed in 2017, and it's the one I'm presenting to you today. It's the theory that Sherry was one of four victims killed in 1980 and dumped alongside I-45. All four of the victims had been strangled and dumped along I-45. All four were suspected to be sex workers or runaways, and two out of the four had been sexually assaulted but not raped. Now, you might notice that I said four victims but I've only told you about three so far. None of my sources actually named the fourth victim, who has also been identified. I assume this is because her family has asked that she not be named publicly. So unfortunately, I don't know any information about her case except that she was strangled to death and left along I-45. Okay, I know that it is absolutely crazy to think that four women who may have been or were likely killed by the same person and dumped in the same areas within a year have never had their killer caught. But here's the thing about this particular area in Texas. Whoever killed these four women was not the only killer operating in the area, not by far. In fact, in the area surrounding I-45 through Texas, more than 30 victims, most likely of many different killers, have been found since the 1970s. That's so crazy. This area is now known as the Texas Killing Fields. Very few of the murders found in the Texas Killing Fields have ever been solved, despite efforts by the Texas investigators and the FBI. This area is along the I-45 corridor southeast of Houston and even more specifically, a 25-acre area of land where several bodies have been found. That's just so insane to me. Most of the victims found in the Texas Killing Fields have been young women and girls. There have been several suspects connected to and even convicted of some of the killings in this area, but the thing is, this is the work of multiple killers who all discovered the same thing, that this was an area where no one would see or hear anything. I'm going to leave us there because there is so much information about the Texas killing fields that it's been the focus of many documentaries and podcasts. If you want a more detailed episode about the Texas Killing Fields, you can let us know and maybe we'll do it on the Patreon or as a special episode or something like that. But for now, let's move back to the two unidentified victims that we talked about at the top of our episode. Unfortunately, matches for our two Jane Does are slim. I couldn't find any potential matches for our first Jane Doe, but I do have a match for our second Jane Doe. To remind you, our second Jane Doe was found December 10th, 1980. She was a black woman who was likely 16 to 26, 5'2", and 135 pounds, with brown eyes and black hair. She had scars on her left wrist, and her upper incisor was chipped. The potential match I have for you is a young adult named Sheila Cooks. Sheila was a black 18-year-old girl who went missing from Austin, Texas, which is a little less than three hours away from Houston. She went missing on May 16, 1979, but the exact circumstances of her disappearance are unknown. She was last seen at a meeting with her probation officer, which was a two and a half mile walk from her home. Normally she walked with her brothers, but on that day she decided to walk alone. We know she made it to the probation officer meeting, but she never made it back home after the meeting. 
Sheila was 5'3", 95 pounds, with brown eyes and a scar on her left arm. She was last seen wearing a white blouse and blue jeans. Zoe, here's a picture of Sheila next to the reconstruction of Jane Doe if you want to take a look. I wish you guys could have seen the physical reaction I had when I saw the picture of Sheila and Jane Doe because they look a lot alike to me. I think so too. The noses are similar. The forehead line is very similar. The eyebrows are similar, the eyes, the chin even. I think this is pretty solid. I mean, especially since we don't know anything about Sheila's case and disappearance. Like, (laughs) I think this is a pretty good lead. And the scars on the arm, we either need an exclusion of this or this is her. And for anyone that is curious, we'll post a side-by-side of these two photos so you can look at them for yourself. As for what we can do next, we do have several options. First, I think there needs to be more publicity about these two unidentified cases. Absolutely. Sherry's case got a lot of publicity, which was amazing. And it's gotten even more since the successful identification. But we need to push to get the other two does into the media. And this is not me saying that Sherry's case should have gotten less attention than it did. No, Sherry's case got the right amount of attention and everybody else's cases should be getting the same. Sherry's case deserved every amount of attention it got. But I am saying that these two does have been underrepresented in the media and they deserve to have their stories told too. All does deserve the same amount of attention. I don't know if the two Jane Doe's are buried, but if they are, I think we should exhume them and work on genetic genealogy. Othram was able to identify Sherry, and I think they could identify the Jane Doe's too. Isotope testing could help determine where the victims were from. We saw that Sherry was from Minnesota and made it all the way to Texas in less than a year. If investigators had known that, who knows where that could have led. Yeah. As for catching their killer or killers, we need to test the evidence. We know that the sandals found near Sherry have been sent for forensic testing, but the other victims had items on or around them as well. They all need to be sent for testing because maybe DNA could be pulled off of them. The victims discussed in this episode were part of very vulnerable populations, those of sex workers and runaways. We've said this on the podcast before, but it does not matter if someone is living a high-risk lifestyle or chose to leave in the first place. Their cases are just as important. Sherry and the other identified victim are proof that all four of these women can be identified, and hopefully, so can their killer. If you or anyone you know has information about the murder of these four women, the identities of the two Jane Doe's, or the disappearance of Sheila Cooks, please contact law enforcement. Their contact information is on our website. And if you're enjoying our episodes, please consider leaving us a five-star rating wherever you're listening to us so these cases can be shared. You can also follow us on Instagram at the unnamed doe underscore pod. And if one episode a week just isn't enough for you or you want to hear cases about missing people and some more about does, you can head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash the unnamed doe podcast. We release one full episode about a missing person that we briefly touch in our episodes and one mini episode about a John or Jane Doe a month. And the subscription is only $5 a month and a portion of all proceeds are donated to organizations fighting to solve cold cases. As always, thank you for joining us on another episode of the Unnamed Doe podcast. We'll see you in two weeks and have a happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving! This episode was researched and written by Madden Delaney. All editing and music was done by Zoe Reese.